Thanks for joining us. My name's Ross Saville, and uh, as Murray said, I have the privilege of continuing this series. Uh, Murray introduced the theme, we're looking at what if it's true. On April 4 of this year, an article by journalist Julia Baird was published in a number of major newspapers in Australia, including the Sydney Morning Herald. The article was entitled, Scott Morrison is a genuine Christian. Of course he's going to pray. The article started like this. Jesus Christ was trending on Twitter yesterday, and not for the right reasons. Much of it was just due to people swearing. The rest was people dissecting the small group of profoundly stupid American pastors denying the gravity of COVID-19. The fact that so many conservative white evangelicals in the US are urging congregations to meet, even if their country is in lockdown, is deeply disturbing. She went on to identify a pastor in the US who was arrested for refusing to shut down his megachurch in the interest of social distancing. This pastor has become the uh, anti-hero for science. This pastor told his parish they were not a bunch of pansies. A prominent televangelist then came out and backed this pastor on this. And he said, if you're putting out pamphlets and telling everyone to use Purell, which apparently is a hand sanitizer, before they come into the sanctuary, he said, displaying astonishing stupidity, you should just turn in your ministry credentials and burn your church down. I read things like that. And I'm really thankful for Murray. The article then moved on to discussing the reaction by some in Australia to vision of our Prime Minister praying about the pandemic. This is what she said in the article. Given all of this, perhaps it's understandable that so many balk at footage of our Prime Minister publicly worshipping in church last year and now praying with a coronavirus prayer group. After all, she writes, Jesus warned against people making a show of public prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And Jesus told people to pray privately in their own rooms. Prayer is not meant to be a performance. And Christianity should not be about the preservation of power, but the interrogation of it. She goes on to say, People are rightly cynical when politicians seem to offer prayer as solutions for intractable problems instead of acting on them. Although with COVID-19, Morrison could hardly be accused of inaction. I wonder, she says, though, given there are many millions of people praying now for good health, for the vulnerable, for the scared and for the lonely, whether we should so instinctively shame the very act of prayer itself. The Prime Minister is a genuine Christian who is open about his faith. He's going to pray about everything. And yet when evidence emerges that he's been praying, then some immediately, furiously, wield this as instant evidence of insincerity or distraction. We must remember, this article goes on to say, prayer is a non-partisan activity. According to the Pew Research Centre, and Pew Research Centre is a highly respected organisation that's involved in public opinion polling, demographic research and social science research, According to Pew, the same number of Democrats and Republicans pray every day. And it goes on to say that people who pray seem to drink less, be depressed less, and are more likely to be selfless in relationships. She goes says there's also some evidence that praying, instead of distracting from the task at hand, focuses it. 
A 2013 study from Georgia State University found that praying about a problem appeared to liberate cognitive resources that are presumably otherwise consumed by worry, leaving individuals better able to process other information. Some pray, some meditate, others still the mind. It's time for it. She concludes her article with this line, Let's not scoff at prayer. Millions are reaching to God and the good, hoping we can somehow survive. Let's be gentle with each other. I like this article mainly because I'm biased. I think prayer is a big deal. I think it matters, really matters. And I liked some of the stuff she said about prayer. And I like the fact that our Prime Minister prays. I know that there are many leaders in our country right now praying. And I'm so grateful for this. I want to say that I also believe that there is so much more to prayer than what it may be able to do to help us focus or to be selfless at a time like this. I confess that I find so much about prayer that is a mystery. I still stumble and fumble when it comes to prayer. I sometimes don't get prayer right, but I keep trying and I like it. So in the time that we've got, um, I want to share some thoughts with you just around this deal called prayer. Brendan Manning, who's one of my heroes, uh, was quoted as saying this, Prayer is first and foremost an act of love. Prayer is first and foremost an act of love. This has been so important for me over the years. Prayer should not be about me getting things done or having stuff fixed or dumping things on God. Prayer is about my relationship with the one I believe loves me better than anyone has or ever will. It's about me getting the chance to catch up and spend time with him. Listen and be real. He's okay about me asking for stuff and apologizing and so much more. Prayer is where I get to practice believing. And while I admit that there's much I don't get when it comes to prayer, one thing I've chosen to believe is that prayer was important to Jesus. This one I claim to follow. His closest friends recorded times when he prayed, times when he intentionally carved out time to pray. And after watching him carefully, they came to him with a request, teach us to pray. His response is recorded for us in a book called Matthew in the Bible. And, it's, and his response was this, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He starts with our Father. He teaches that it is okay to come to the one who is described as the God of the angel armies, creator, and, in, and address him as our Father, as a perfect Father, our Father. I think there's been times when I've been guilty of praying and it sounded more like me coming to God and saying, thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. But the picture Jesus gives is of a father, our father, who is pleased that we want to be with him, who loves it because he loves us. I genuinely believe that God likes it when we come and have a go at praying. And we don't have to have it all figured out. And we don't have to know the right words, whatever they might be. God wants to spend time with us and loves it when we spend time with him. Our father, what an opening line. I like what John Ortberg says. He said, when I pray our father, I remember that I am special, 
but I also remember that I am not more special than anyone else. Every single human being I see is loved by the Father heart of God. He goes on to explain the next part, our Father in heaven, in heaven. And he says, literally, Jesus says, our Father in the heavens. It's plural for a reason. In the ancient world, they thought of different levels of the heavens. Like there was the atmosphere way up where the stars are. There was the sky above our heads. But also there was the air right around us. Our Father is not distant. He is close. As close as the air around me. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. I remember a friend explaining hallowed has been that sense of something being so special, so awe-inspiring that it affects us. He is the example of a cricket fanatic going to Lord's Cricket Ground. Now, Lord's Cricket Ground is the name of the cricket ground for those of you not into cricket. It's not a cricket ground for Christians. Lord's is considered the home of cricket. And people sometimes describe the hallowed turf of Lord's. I spoke to a friend who went on a tour of Lords, Lords many years ago. He loves cricket. And when he got to bend down and touch the turf, he had a moment of being in awe. It affected him. Hallowed be your name. Help us have a sense of awe about you so we feel it. And may others not miss out on how good and kind and amazing you are. And then he says, pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea of God's kingdom was central to Jesus' teaching. In the book of Matthew, it's mentioned 50 times. Jesus announced strongly and clearly and repeatedly that there is a domain called the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. It's wherever God's will is done, where what happens meets with God's approval, where people treat each other with, the, with kindness and mercy where the greatest humble themselves, where there are no arrogant egos, no selfishness, where every encounter causes people to walk away with more joy. It is as in heaven type living. Jesus came and said that that kingdom exists right now. And to pray that prayer is to ask God that I will live as in heaven type living. And his rule and reign will increase in my life. And then in the lives of those around me. Jesus goes on then and, and uh, says, pray, give us today our daily bread. Give me today just what I need to live in a way that's true to you. And give me what I need to be a blessing, not a burden to those I encounter along the way. He says we should pray, forgive me my debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive me and help me me be forgiving. Neil Plantinga wrote, recalling and confessing our sin is like taking out the garbage. Once is not enough. And we need to recognize God's great mercy. And we need to appreciate that it is healthy and wise for us to pass this on to others. The next phrase in this prayer is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It helps when we specifically acknowledge that we need help in certain areas and identify those temptations and seek God's help. We ask him to help us from falling back into patterns and habits that don't do us or anyone else any favours. Amen.
There it is. What is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It's been prayed in more languages across more continents, in more cultures and civilizations, century after century for 2,000 years. And when we pray this prayer, not recite it, but thoughtfully enter into a conversation with God, using this prayer as a guide, we join in a long line of those who've had a go at praying, as Jesus said we should. So I'd like to make some comments as we wrap up. This week, I want to encourage you to have a go at praying this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught, to have a go at praying this prayer at least once each day. Don't rush through it. Fill each phrase with your own thoughts. Make this week an adventure in prayer. For me, one of the things that I believe prayer does for me is it helps get my eyes off myself. Prayer helps me, firstly, to try to see things through God's eyes. This has been so important over the last few weeks. I have needed to adjust some of my thinking, and prayer has helped. I've seen in some articles that I've read, and I've even heard in some podcasts, the comment that the church needs to be thinking and working to leverage this situation. Leverage this situation. The situation meaning what is going on with this pandemic. And I say this carefully, but I want to be honest, I really struggle a bit when I hear that, when I read that. I know it's often well meant, but this situation has deeply affected people all around us and in our world. People are hurting. There are some among us who've worked hard for years and built businesses. And in the last few weeks, they've lost 80% of their business and had to stand down employees. I spoke to a, a small business owner recently who said his wife cried for two days because they had to choose who from their staff they would stand down. There are others around us who've lost their jobs or had significant cutbacks. There are people who are sick, some who've died, others who've lost loved ones, others who are afraid of what's happening and afraid of how things will be. So I'm very reluctant to talk about leveraging this situation for the church. When this first began unfolding, I admit I had some concerns about how this might impact our church, the youth ministry, my job. But as I've prayed these things through, some of those things have faded into the background. They aren't the big deal for me. My concern now is for people not for how things will look for our church programs in the future. God has always been about and for people. And I believe God feels the suffering and the disappointments and the hurts of people right now. And we need to seek to feel that as well. To pray and to respond. One of the things that we've been learning with the grade 13 home group that's still been meeting uh, through Zoom, is something I picked up from Ron Wilson. He's Dwight from The Office. He spoke about at Soul Pancake, they now don't finish the sentence, I am grateful for, and then put a full stop. Now at Soul Pancake, it is, I am grateful for, so I will. I am grateful for, so I will. 
I'm grateful for my wife. So today I will use my words and say it out loud. I will get a flowers as well just to reinforce it. Or today I am grateful for my job. So I'm going to let my employer know. When we pray, I believe that we need to adopt this idea. God, I want to pray for my neighbour who is old and I think lonely. So I will get up and I'll drop a fruit basket with a note to her. God, I pray for some of those refugee kids in our church who are struggling with keeping up with their schoolwork. So I will look around and see if there's some old laptops that are not in use in my home. God, I pray for those small businesses who are doing it tough. So I will go and buy my fruit from that local fruit shop or local deli. Prayer wasn't meant to be passive. Prayer was never meant to be a spectator sport. I want to finish by just sharing something that I've found um, deeply encouraging and I hope it will encourage you as well. A few weeks ago, we stopped all our, our meetings here at the church building and one of the gatherings that stopped was the youth Sunday afternoon prayer time. But since we've had to stop gathering at the church, the number of those coming to prayer times via Zoom has more than doubled. More young people are gathering and having a go at prayer. Can I explain that? No. But so much good has spilt out of what has happened as they've continued to pray together. There have been acts of kindness. One young man uh, in one of the prayer groups I'm part of talked about the fact that he was very aware of his great auntie who probably would appreciate if he dropped round and mowed her lawn. So he did it. He made sure he took a photo and sent it to us. We would love you to join with us. Murray and Kaz joined a group last week. So you know now that old people are welcome. I can connect you in with a group. Or you can jump on the youth group, uh, the Hume Ridge Youth Facebook page, Sunday after lunch, and the prayer sheet will be there. This series is called, What If It's True? What if prayer is true? True in the sense that something will, will occur in your relationship with God. Something will occur in your relationship with God if you humbly give this a go. Pray the prayer Jesus gave us. Pray it each day this week. The only way to know is for you to give it a go. What have you got to lose? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus gave us a prayer that would help us know how to pray. And Lord, my prayer is right now that you would help all of us to pray. Help us to be open, to listen, to learn, to give it a go. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for his love for all of us. And I pray that we would come to understand that more and more today and in the days ahead. And I ask this in his name. Amen.